I was worried that a kid might not pick up the book if it said Diary of a Wimpy Kid because, you know, usually kids want to read something that's aspirational. They want to read something that they want to become. They want to read about a brave character, or, you know, a cool kid or something like that. My work met a moment, right? It, it, it kind of like newspapers were starting to shrink. So the comics medium, comics are still going to exist. They just need to find a new home. That was my first step. I spent four years writing down literally every funny thing that ever happened to me. One of the things that's true about cartoon characters is that they evolve over time. I spent a year drawing and redrawing the drawings because I wanted the characters to stay really consistent. My ADD sort of caught up with me. So it's, it, it actually I did become a computer programmer after, you know, after I graduated from college for years, for a long, for maybe 20 years. As a cartoonist, you kind of put your work in between yourself and your audience. And you were talking about authors from 500 year, years old. And I believe most of the authors have that huge beardy look. Didn't you ever think of maintaining a beard? <laughs> well, unfortunately, I can't really grow facial hair. I don't know why it didn't happen for me, but uh, if, if I could, I probably would. Today we have a guest who is responsible for making the childhood of millions of kids around the globe worth living, which also includes me. Yes, he's the creator of New York Times bestseller, Wimpy Kids series, which has sold over 200 million copies in more than 60 languages. And he's also a six-time Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Award winner for his Diary of a Wimpy Kids series. And he would have won even more if they wouldn't have changed his award category. Jeff Sir <laughs> has been voted and named one of Times' 100 most influential people in the world. And there are days when he spends around 17 hours writing and drawing such amazing sketches which sometimes take a couple of hours for a single drawing. Normally, I start off straight with a question, but today I just want to start by saying thank you for being a part of this conversation. And I believe that you just predicted the future with your books, as we know that the Wimpy Kid world, which started with the cheese touch, doesn't it feel as if we are trapped in a global cheese touch where people are the cheese? <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah, yeah. that's it. sad. I, I didn't mean to predict the future there, but thank you so much for your kind words. And thank you. You, you reached out to me once or twice on Twitter at times when, uh, when I was too busy, when I was on deadline. And I'm really excited that you, uh, that you kept asking because it's, uh, I think this is a cool thing that you're doing. And I'm so glad you were a fan of my books from the time that you were you were a kid. That's that's really cool to me. So th this is actually the first time I've ever connected in a professional way with someone who's a fan, and then you know kind of grew up to to start their own career. So this is this is a good moment for me. Yeah, sure. And thank you very much for even replying on Twitter. I was not even expecting it. That was just out of the blue. And I must that's tell cool. you, I even. You know, this is what makes you so humble. I even contacted J.K. Rowling. I mean, several times, and every time she ignored me. And I believe that's what makes you so humble at it. And I won't be able to, you know, describe in words how much I respect and admire your contribution to the lives of children by not only okay. entertaining them, and but also I'm curious to know. You must have received mails saying how it helped young children cope up with serious illnesses, loneliness, depression, or even bullying, because reading about a person who has led a more miserable life than us and always gets into trouble is really uplifting. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you recognize that. I, I was ner nervous when I first wrote the title, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. In fact, at first, when I started posting it online, I called it Greg Hefley's Journal. I, I was worried... I was worried that a kid might not pick up the book if it said Diary of a Wimpy Kid because, you know, usually kids want to read something that's aspirational. They want to read something that they want to become. They want to read about a brave character, or, you know, a cool kid or something like that. And this was really different. You know, if you, you look at Greg on the cover of the book, he's, he's sort of stooped and bent over. I actually have a, a statue right now of Greg. So he's, wow. you know, he, he looks like he's having a worse time of things than you are. And I think that's really important for comedy. If, if you could imagine Diary of a Kid as Diary of a, of a Brave Kid, a Strong Kid, an Athletic Kid, 
it's not the same. You know, I think that in comedy, it's really important to see that, 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 that things can be tough for other people too. And, and sometimes in humor, you like to laugh at instead of laugh with, you know, and it's, it's, um, and that's a little bit of a cruel side of human nature, but I think that we like to see Greg have a really bad time, especially if Greg brought it on uh, upon True. himself. Yeah, and I do recommend to all those listening, do also check out our Instagram page because he would be showing amazing props throughout our conversation. And if you're a Diary of a Wimpicket fan, you really don't want to miss them. And I was even reading on Twitter recently that you went on some sort of, you know, booked a minivan with the cover of your recent book. And you just went and met your fans, especially during these times when all the places were shut down and you were prepared with all the masks and sanitizers. And who thought of this? Because it was such a creative idea. And I had a question that were your fans really able to recognize you or did they confuse you with the bookstore salesman with the mask on? (laughs) Yeah, if you've got, you know, I'm covered up to here and then I had sunglasses on most days and sometimes I think even a hat. You know, what we wanted to do was, I think the way that that idea came about was I have a bookstore here. I'm in my book, my bookstore right now. And it must have been March or April when somebody reached out to us and they said, hey, we'd like to do a big event in August. And I was like, man, I don't even know if we're going to be open in August. Um, and, And so we had to refuse it. And then I realized, like I said, this was about March or April when everybody was starting to do Zoom everything, right? We're looking at screens all the time. And I right. was like, people really, by August, people are going to be burned out on that. And so I said, it's, it's important to do something really physical, whatever that might be or whatever the limitations to that might be. So that's how that, that idea came to be. And we, you know, we even had a, we had a, a trident that was. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. It, it had like. A, it gave you sort of a godly look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it did. It, it was kind of badass. It was, a, it, was a, it was actually fun to have a weapon at a book signing, you know, and when some kid gets out of line, you can kind of give him a little jab. Um, but yeah. it was, uh, it was cool. And I think everybody appreciated having a, a something to look forward to something that wasn't canceled and we're going to actually go back out in october and do the same thing but amplify it so we're gonna do a like um kind of a drive-through event where there's like stations and little little moments of joy here and there to celebrate uh the new book so we're, we're you know the way that i think of it is imagine if we had been authors had been doing this for 500 years this was the only way authors ever did events what would they look like? Like how advanced would we be in this? You know, it wouldn't just be a guy with a, a trident. It would be really something much more exciting. So we're trying to approximate what that might be. Wow, that's really amazing. And I've been watching your events where you reveal the latest cover of Wimpicket books. And these events are so fun and enjoyable, even when I'm watching on a screen. And I've even saw that most of your interviews have been by super fan, which are normally seven, eight year old kids, which is kind of comforting for me because I have the same maturity level as them. <laughs> I mean, you were talking about this beard, you know, this beard is just for show behind. This is just a kid that's looking desperately for attention. I'm like, please listen to me. And, <laughs> And you were talking about authors from 500 years old. And I believe most of the authors have that huge beardy look. Didn't you ever think of maintaining a beard? (laughs) Well, unfortunately, I can't really grow facial hair. I don't know why it didn't happen for me. But uh, if I could, I probably would. But I I think I'm I'm just going to have to look very boyish for uh, the rest of my life. Yeah. Also, you have such a, you know, this book is for children. What would an author with facial hair like me would do? (laughs) Oh, so you read Bimpy Kids? Yeah. Children would be like, oh, you are not great carefully. (laughs) So, you know, fun loving experience for me as a child. We used to just some, the person who would bring the latest edition of your book would be considered the coolest person in my class. And our teacher would come and say, English teacher, especially that do not read Wimpicket books. They are, you know, the grammar is not right. And we used to get so literally pissed off. One time we just said, we just plan and we just told the teacher, 
on purpose, we were sitting on the front bench reading one of your books. Teacher came like, I'll take away that book if you read that again. And we said, you are just jealous that he sold these many <laughs> and he's successful. <laughs> believe for the whole year, she gave me a bad grade. I mean, we sacrificed <laughs> a lot to keep your name up. Yeah. <laughs> and That's hilarious. Oh, I man. I, yeah. I, did I, I didn't get to meet you when I was in uh, Delhi uh, two years ago, did I? Yeah, during those times, you know, I was not that much into technology and stuff. So I didn't know yeah. either we would read it in a newspaper or something. And my yeah. parents were also not keen on this co- comics and stuff. So I didn't <laughs> get a chance. But soon as you arrive to India, I'll come and pick you at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I came. Uh, yeah, it was there. It must have been two or three years ago. It was uh it was quite an experience. I think we went to Delhi and, and Bombay. I, yeah, Mumbai. I'm sorry. And uh, that that was a wild experience for me. You know, I, I think that Americans feel very connected to Indian people, but it's not that often that uh, you know, not too many Americans get to go to India. So I felt very, very lucky to do that. It's such a and my my favorite types of movies are are uh, Indian movies or you wow. know, Hollywood movies. Um, Do you remember any one of them? Yeah, you know, um, Raja Hindustani, I guess if I'm mm. pronouncing it correctly. Yeah. And I really like that one. Is, it, is there a song called Kaja Ray? Am I saying it correctly? Yeah, There's I would, a really yeah. great, great I would really need that. to know the spelling of the movie. But yeah, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm not, yeah. Bollywood is really, you know, improving in terms of the qualities of movies. And I'm personally, you know, we are shifting our gaze from Hollywood to Bollywood because this industry is growing at a rapid pace. And I've yeah. even come to know that you are a self-proclaimed Greg Heffley, you know, kind of an evolved and a more peaceful version of it. How it feels that the character which you created and is essentially inspired from you is more popular among the kids than the real life Greg Heffley with whom I'm talking to. Because I've read <laughs> that during initial visits to bookstores, you wouldn't get that big crowd of children. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think that... It's funny because in, in the first few pages of the first Diary of a Wimpy Kid book, Greg says, you know, one day when I'm rich and famous, and he kind of thinks, hey, one day, you know, one day I'll be, uh, I'll be president, sort of, he's got this kind of idea. And I learned by going around the world that that's, a, people in other countries, they say, well, why, why would Greg think that? And I've realized over time that that's kind of like an American attitude, is that American kids sometimes feel that way. And so in the book, it's sort of a joke, right? Is that he, he's saying that, you know, one day I'll be rich and famous, but you as the reader know that that's not going to happen for Greg. He's probably going to end up being very average. And what's funny is in, you know, in, in the real world, um, Greg has, has, you know, become famous. And, uh, and that's, that's cool because I, as a cartoonist, you kind of put your work in between yourself and your audience. It's, you know, I'm not a performer. Right. I'm not a, um, you know, not a musician. It, it, it's a, it's a product that you're, you're putting out there and you sit back and you let the product kind of do a job, which is nice for a cartoonist because like, as I get older and more decrepit, oh, you know, my character. You, you look healthy as ever. <laughs> yeah. And I was actually, I had this thing in mind that, you know, you you look healthy and fit as ever and you've got many years to live. You can make it through the century, I believe. And Wimpy Kid Legacy <laughs> would keep going on forward. Still, do you think that there would be some kind of hire, maybe your favorite son who would keep, you know, writing or take interest in writing? I don't have any favorite sons and I've got two of them. So, <laughs> but, in, terms, in terms of keeping the legacy alive, coming. <laughs> you know, that's an interesting question because if you, it, the answer I think is no, because I think the voice for Diary of a Wimpy Kid is pretty specific. But if you think of comics like uh, Donald Duck and, you know, I, I could name a, a million different cartoons that, that outlived their creators. And it's interesting. What is it? What's the, what's the essential ingredient of a, of a cartoon character? Uh, I'm not sure what the answer to that is, but in, in, in the case of Diary of a Wimpy Kid, I think that if somebody else wrote a Diary of a Wimpy Kid book right now, you would notice it would, it would feel like a photocopy. And um, so I think I hopefully it will die, die off with me. 
Yeah, and coming up with photocopy. I mean, I was personally so inspired, and it's great to hear that children are not only seeing it as a source of entertainment, but are also inspired to write something of their own through it. And this is really a remarkable thing which you have achieved through your, you know, books. And I personally got inspired. At first, I thought through the language and all those fonts and stuff that it was written by a 12-year-old himself. And I myself started started jotting down my life experiences on MS Word and started creating the characters through the MS Word straight and curvy lines, the shapes and stuff. And I wrote this 30 to 40 page draft when I was, I think, 13 or 14 years of age. And I published it on Amazon Kindle and all the drawings... Yeah, which I've compiled in terms of lines. It was titled Diary of an Indian Kid. <laughs> I would probably be uh, suffocated with all the press charges <laughs> with copying the name. And I published this 30-40 page. It was a long page, especially if you convert it into a book, it would be double. You can double it. And just when I published it, I saw the version. You know, all my drawings, they were just ripped apart by the editor, by the publishing editor. And I spent hours and hours just creating this line and these hands and fingers, the feet and all it came. And that was an end to my career of, for writing up till that moment. But I just want to tell you how it feels when you see that children are beginning to create something of their own after reading your book. Yeah. Well, it feels good. And I think that, you know, the, at the essence, Diary of a Wimpy Kid is, is really an ordinary story. I, my rule is I try not to have stories that are uh, too far from what could happen in real life. Um, sometimes I have to exaggerate things or, or make the ending very cinematic or something like that. But generally speaking, you know, if you if you go back to the beginning, I was trying to look at the, the whole history of the Diary of a Wimpy Kid books recently. And I, I was trying to see if I was still on the right track, right? And I said, okay, book one is middle school is hell, right? Book two, siblings are hell. Uh, book three <laughs> is, I think, sports are hell. Book four, summer is hell. Book five, uh, I, I think it's that puberty is hell. Book True. six is the holidays are hell. Book seven is love is hell. Book eight <laughs> is uh, extended family is hell. And on and on. You know, it, 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 as I'm getting into the later stages of these books, there, there's still there the, the canvas is bigger. But usually, it's kind of like you know, even the getaway, which is a pretty pretty big departure from my other books. It's it's like that's a family vacation. Most people have been on some type of extravagant family vacation at least once in their lives. Not everybody, but a lot of a lot of kids have been lucky enough to do that. But even you know. I'm hoping that people who read that book can relate to it and see their own experiences, you know, but the stories are ordinary. And, and I really would encourage you. Like that was my first step. I spent four years writing down literally every funny thing that ever happened to me. Right. I, uh, I actually read about it, that it took you eight years to even create the first draft, which is so respectful and required such patience. And I'm curious to know, what do you think made your previous work different from Diary of a Wimpy Kid that a person at a Comic-Con liked it straight away. Yeah. When you say my previous book, do you mean... Previous work. Previous work, which I mean the Igdoof and also... Yeah, 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 yeah. I think what it was, was that my work met a moment, right? It, it, It kind of like newspapers were starting to shrink. So the comics medium, comics are still going to exist. They just need to find a new home. And also I met a moment where kids were really expecting something visual out of all of their entertainment, right? So this is when uh, the internet was, was sort of growing up and kids were getting into some forms of social media, but they needed pictures, images. Whereas if you read a Harry Potter book, you'll get a little picture at the beginning of each chapter. But I think kids, especially and, kids And like, 600 pages of small, tiny text. That's right. <laughs> it's you know, completely yeah. filled with boredom. And I would instead, yeah. instead watch a movie of Harry Potter than reading 600 pages. Yeah. So I think kids, I was trying to kind of pull kids along. And like I said, uh, once or twice, uh, today is that I've got attention deficit disorder. So when I see a big page of text, it's good to have um, an image there because that's like an island to swim to. And then I know that I could get to the next one. 
You know, that's why magazines are ineffective. They could just make those all text, but they know people wouldn't read them. You need those images to, to, to liven it up a bit. And that's a really great observation. And when I pick up the Wimpicate book, take it from the cover to your custom design font. It's so unique and creative. Probably sure if it's not all your own idea, it's kind of a teamwork. And I'm curious to know how you thought of creating, giving this unique touch to the books by this cover and the font and so many more things which you do with it. Because I've seen that with each and every new version, the drawings have become more and more intensive and I'm sure it requires more and more work. And what else do you do and how you thought of to adding this creative touch to the books? Yeah, thank you for saying that. Um, you know, it took a while to kind of package it and, and get good enough to, uh, at the drawings. One of the things that I did was to, I spent a year drawing and redrawing the drawings because I wanted the characters to stay really consistent. And one of the things that's true about cartoon characters is that they evolve over time. So um, if you look at Peanuts, for example, Charles Schultz, Snoopy, yeah. you know, the early drawings look really different from the old, uh, from the newer ones. And eventually he finds his form, right? Once he, it took him like uh, 20, 25 years to find his form. And then once that form is established, that's locked in. I really thought it was important to have the characters look consistent so that you didn't feel like, oh, that's the old stuff and this is the new stuff. But even so, I think if you looked at the new books, the drawings are a little bit more sophisticated than, than the old ones, as you said, more dense. But I was really striving to make it so that each book felt like, you know, you could read the books in any order and it wouldn't feel like, oh, that's an old one. Right. And I was reading about that, how Wimpy Kid experiences, some of them were inspired from your real childhood. And I yeah. want to know, were you really like this in high school, that insecure kid who uses his best friend kindness, just like Greg, and not focusing on grades. Cause I read that you were initially planning to study computer science. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I have a complicated answer to that. In, in many ways, I was worse than Greg. I was just more <laughs> despicable. And um, in some ways he's, he's more despicable than I am. But as far as uh, grades go and, and, you know, Greg is, I think he's a bright kid who doesn't apply himself, I guess you would say. In, in my case, I was a bright kid who did apply himself up to a point. Like I, I was, I think the number three student in my high school class. Wow. Um, but once I got to college, things went south because it required a discipline that I didn't have. It required me getting to classes at 8 a.m., which was very hard for me. And, um, and so I really, my ADD sort of caught up with me. So it's, it, it actually, I did become a computer programmer after, you know, after I graduated from college for years, for a long, for maybe 20 years. So I, I did do this thing that I was capable of doing. And now it's funny, to, in a way, when I let go of that, which was only a year and a half ago, um, yeah. I was let go of something for good, something that I really loved. It was a part of me since I was about 12 years old. True. It's really amazing to hear that. And I've also even heard you say that cartoonists use as little as words to depict the larger story. And the way you do that in Wimpicate is truly remarkable. And I, and I would be sharing some of my favorite stories from The Ugly Truth in a couple of moments. And what are the key things one needs to keep in mind to depict a large story in few words, but have the same impact? It's, yeah, that's a cartoonist job, right? Is that a cartoonist job is, you know, how is a cartoon different than an illustration? It is a little bit different because it's a distillation, right? A, a, an illustration is really a description, right? Whereas a cartoon is a, a really most, it's the most basic form of something. You're trying to commute, communicate something with as few lines, as few words as possible. So that's, I like that, that that's one of the jobs of a cartoonist is to be efficient. True. And I even encourage people to check out your site, wimpicate.com. And because it has such amazing things. I remember looking as a child, such vibrant things and games and stuff, which is truly um, entertaining to go on to. And all the links would be in the description of this episode. I've even read somewhere that your father used to bring comics of the legend Karl Barks and that ignited your love for cartooning because Karl Barks is one of the legends of this industry. And for those who don't know or are living under the rock, 
He is the writer and artist of the first Donald Duck stories and as the creator of Scrooge McDuck. I just want yeah. to know how much role did your parents and role models had in making you passionate? Because I heard you give some advice on copying the work of the people you admire, especially when you are young or in the learning stages. Yeah, I think that, you know, my father did me a big favor by having comics in the house. Like he read comics as a kid. Uh, his parents threw them away when he went to, to the Naval Academy, actually. And then he recollected them as, as he got older, as when he had kids. And so those were around, you know, and so the fact that those were around was what really got me. And, and I really only liked Karl Marx. I didn't really love superhero comics or just about anything else. I really loved the Karl Marx comics. Um, and in fact, I'm gonna show you something in a second that's very cool. Let's see, so we're in my studio right now. Let's see if I can flip yeah. my camera around. Da, da, da. Sure, Let's just see. take me into the Wimpy Kid world. Yeah. yeah, this is, you're going into the Wimpy Kid world. Okay, here's our studio. We've got kind of cool stuff, but this is this is the coolest. It's a, it's a Scrooge McDuck statue, right? Yeah, sitting on and a I treasure. Think, <laughs> yeah, sitting on a treasure. Right, and this is the the only life size Scrooge in in the in the world, right? And so nice. he's got he's, he's holding a coin here, and he's actually telling his nephews the story of his first uh, how he got his first dollar bill, I think. And so it's it's called "This Dollar Saved My Life at White Horse," right? <laughs> and it was actually, um, and so we have a bookstore called "An Unlikely Story," and so that statue was. Uh, the first owner of it was Michael Jackson. So it was really wow. a crazy thing. And you I'm not have, a collector. You, you must have paid a crazy amount to get that from Mike. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think we got it from him directly. We might have been the third owner. Um, oh. But we, uh, yeah, it wasn't cheap, but it was um, it was worth it. <laughs> well, it's always it, a it was for you after sell, selling those many copies. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so this is... Um, we made that same sculptor actually made a Greg statue. So here's Greg in his mother's bathrobe from the. Yeah, uh, I remember this from Dog Days. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's the last straw. Last straw. <laughs> okay. Oh, it's been so many years. I've grown facial hair and all that stuff. Just kind of uh, get confused. <laughs> all right. Let's see if I. I need to prop this back up. So hold on one second. We were talking about Karl Barks. So, so was Karl Barks uh, popular in India? Karl Barks, to be honest, not that. We are still stuck on Walt Disney up till now. But I personally, <laughs> you know, being a freak, you know, I was reading about him and his struggles. And I think he had some sort of eyesight problem or something. And wow. he went through so much and still created such a great legacy. And it's great that... I, People like you are keeping it alive by getting inspiration <laughs> from his work. And I've seen yeah. your other appearances as well. And to be honest, you seem such a humble and polite man. After I heard you saying that Game of Thrones was kind of too violent for your taste, the web series. But just then I yeah. picked one of your books and I read stories like Greg Heavily staring into girls' locker room. And I know a part <laughs> of it is inspired from your real life experiences. Not that one for sure. Yeah. Still, what goes inside your mind while writing these books? Is there some sort of unconscious reserves you tap into? Because I've seen there's a telephone booth in which you sit and brainstorm these ideas. And sometimes you even put a blanket on your face while lying on the couch. <laughs> which might sound like a Jewish ritual at first and might get some, <laughs> attract some strange looks from family members. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've tried just about everything in my right in, in writing. Yeah. I used to sit on kind of a video game rocker chair and just it almost like, you know, it was like a rocker. Um, that's how I first started writing. Then I would get to lying on the couch, putting a blanket on my head. I did that for years that turned into long, long walks, um, like really long walks, sometimes four hours. And finally, uh, I discovered this method um, called systematic inventive thinking, which is a um, this kind of way to cause yourself to, to, in a systematic way, to be creative. And it's very efficient. Wow, um, how so that I, works. All right, well, I'll tell you. So let's, let's say, um, it's, a, it's really easy. There's just two steps. One is that you, you take something, a process, something, 
and you um, a process an object and you list its parts, right, its components. And then the second part is that you apply a few tools to each component, right? So uh, subtraction, multiplication, division, yeah. for example. So, I've actually saw this on your Twitter. You share this. You take a certain yeah. theme and you just write about it like an extempo. And is this something yeah. which is similar to that thing? It's, I don't know if it is really uh, similar. Yeah, I'll give you an example. Is that if you take this pair of glasses, right, and you list the components, there's two, two components, lenses, frames, right? And then, so I've done half the job, which is just to list the parts, right? And then the second part is that you use a tool like subtraction and you um, subtract something that seems important and then see if you have a product, right? So let's say I subtract the lenses from the, uh, from the frames, right? What do I have? I have glasses that don't, don't have lenses, right? True. Can you think of anybody in the world that could use a product like that? That's what you have to say. You say, can, is there anybody that could use something like that? Yeah, probably if it, you're performing in theater and you need it yeah. for the role. Yeah, yeah that, that, that could be a good way. So in the, in the United States, NBA players, they, they, uh, basketball players, they often wear glasses um, with no uh, lenses, right? And this is in their press conferences because they like the fashion, right? But they don't, they don't need to see with them, right? And they also don't get, lots of people are taking their pictures so the, um, they don't reflect the light back, right? So there's a product. Or if I thickened the frames, for example, I might have racquetball goggles, right? Because really thick frames will keep you from getting hit in the eye. Right. And if you flip, if you flip that and say, okay, let's take um, just the lenses, let's subtract the frame. Let's take just the lens. Uh, now, do you have a pro do you have a product that somebody can use? You've got two pieces of glass. Can anybody use that? Yeah, probably someone in the scientific field, or I've seen eye doctors use it a lot. That single yeah, lens. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, if you if you shrink the lenses by a lot, you've got a product which is contact lenses, right? And so these are big innovations. Like we just let's just say those things didn't exist before, right? Now we've just created two really big, you know, products. One's not so useful, one's very useful. And so that's how I write all of my jokes is that I take a, a, a thing, like let's say I'm writing the getaway and I take an airplane. I'll spend an hour listing all the parts of the airplane, the wings, the pilot, the steering wheel, the uh, bathrooms, the seats, everything. Just list everything, right? And then I'll go through and with each thing, I'll subtract, I'll divide, I'll multiply, and then I'll see what kind of humor comes from it. So the product here isn't something somebody would buy. It's the product is what might be funny, right? So for example, if I say, let's take away the seat, okay, I could physically remove the seat, Greg's seat, he could go onto the plane, there's no seat there, or I could remove it in a different way. So in that particular book, um, Greg gets up and goes to the bathroom, and when he comes back, somebody's put their sleeping baby in his seat, right? And he okay. doesn't want to wake it up. Um, so that's something that came from using that process. It's not something that really came from memory or an experience that I had. Uh, wow. Actually, my friend did have a similar experience, but, but that's all of my jokes now come from that process. Wow, who knew that besides these comic books which you are creating, there's so much, you know, mind brainstorming going into it. And I'm sure whoever listening would be surprised to hear that. And it's so such a unique thing. And I'm sure many creative artists would use the same thing as well in their art. I mean, if you think of it, most human problems are solved by, you know, these, these kinds of techniques or templates. So in COVID-19, we've seen all sorts of solutions have come about from, you know, from this restriction that we're under, we've had to adapt. And almost everything that we've done to adapt can be categorized into one of these, uh, you know, one of these tool sets. Sure, I would surely replay this certain part and I'll surely try to apply it in what I do as well, because this seems really an amazing technique which you shared to, you know, ignite your creative muscles. And another amazing yeah. thing that you're, about your work is how you know unique and how it seems as if it's so authentic 
I'm, and I'm sure you must be having some sort of deadline on publishing the books. And after writing so many books, how are you able to manage your time in order to not feel stressed out or not be able to give your best shot? Because it happens in many professions, especially music, when artists start taking drugs, etc., to cope up with the deadlines. And I believe this can even ha- help children to manage your non-academic endeavors with their grades and how can one learn to balance out this time yeah i think that's i'm not good at time management same here yeah when i have um when i have a big list of things to do that the things all feel equally important in a way and so it's not until i get on deadline when things really crystallize and i have a really hard time writing my books like it it takes me um a few months to come up with the ideas and then once i start writing it gets very stressful and i spend by the very end it's uh it's about maybe 14 to 16 hours a day at my desk and then wow. uh by the very end it's about 19 hours a day at my desk and so i i wish i could kind of smooth that out even that out across um uh, you know across a longer period of time but i think most people who are in my field kind of deal with similar deadline crunches and crushes true and look at the end result you're just making millions of children around the world so happy and cheerful with your work and i'm sure you must be feel as if all this effort is worth it after it gets in the hands of people and another thing about the books is that these experiences are so relatable with people not only in us or uk but all over the globe people in china india and all the continents are reading this book now on to know how you came up with these universal experiences with which everyone can relate with because we yeah. come from different cultures backgrounds systems surrounding our country and how you you know focused on those particular experiences which resonate with everyone yeah i'm glad you feel that way um i think that something i think when i first started writing diary of a wimpy kid i i guess i had it in my mind that this was an american kid i wasn't really thinking about different different places around the world but as i went on i came to really regret having any american or united states references in the books because i realized that kids in india and turkey and pakistan and you know just all all over were reading the books and that caused me to really try to make the books be more universal and if you think about it most of the stories of diary of a wimpy kid are are things that you and i would have had in common in our experience which would have been that you have we both have parents and maybe siblings uh pets maybe um right you know, homework and how, how are you able to use these experiences because these experiences are so common that sometimes your work can be a copy of any other comic which you have not read and how you take these common experiences and give them an uncommon touch because that's what separates it yeah that's that's really interesting um and appreciated i i don't know i guess it's kind of like um that you i yes i am writing about um a certain set of experiences but if you think of it like this think of a stand up comedian uh somebody that that gets up on a stage and tells jokes you know 80% of it isn't the material it's the it's the comedian's personality you either like them or you don't and luckily i you know i'm lucky enough to have a writing style or a voice in this great kept the character that that people like and relate to um so i think it's the it's a combination of those two things it's it's the experiences themselves which are common and then you put them through a a filter right which is the character right so and going back to the 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 um the idea of creating humor um like using this this technique let's say you and i were on a a game show like a a reality show where we're both comedians and sure. we have to we have to write about we have to we basically they give us a theme and then we have to write on that theme right let's say the theme is a swimming pool have you been in a swimming pool before sure i've drowned a lot many times yeah <laughs> right okay so we would both go back to our room and try to write about the swimming pool you know maybe what you would do is you would you would have, we would both do is we both draw from memories that we had at the pool and write about that but you know i would definitely go to this tool set 
and just start listing, you know, parts of the pool, lifeguard, water, goggles, bathing suit. And then I'd see what kind of humor I could get out of each one. And then we both come back with our routine. Yeah. And it would half of you know, at least half of it would be content and then the rest would be up to the way that we present that content. True. And that's so creative. And now that you have shared your secret technique, now get ready to face some competition. <laughs> Because people would start listening to it and would start writing their own books. And it's great to hear how you take these common themes and then use this particular technique, which is kind of infused with your own personal experiences and just present greatness to children all over the world. Yeah. Very kind. Oh, sure. Thank you. I do not get get to hear that a lot (laughs) around myself. So it's really (laughs) great to be told that you're kind. So how are you able to find aspects of childhood that you haven't explored yet? Because your observations are so hilarious to read. Well, that's a, that's a good question. And sometimes, you know, every creative uh, property has a lifespan. Like, so, so a television like series, a lifespan tends to be about eight years, eight seasons, right? Sure. And that's the reason that they fall apart after that is because they've kind of covered everything, right? And they start doing stunts and they start doing things that, that aren't really part of what the core of the thing was all about. And Diary of a Wimpy Kid is getting closer. It's closer to the end of its lifespan than, than the beginning, right? Oh. And that's because I've covered a lot. And so... Um, You know, it's like I've had the big family vacation, so can I really put them out at another resort or, you know, that that kind of thing? That's sort of, that's checked off. There is one big area that I haven't covered sufficiently, and it's a big part of most kids' lives. Can you think of what it is? Mm. What's a big part of your childhood that I haven't really covered in a whole book? No, well, let's not talk about my childhood. It was completely <laughs> different from a normal childhood. So <laughs> you'll g- end up with obscure references if I start talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, did you play a sport when you were a kid? Yeah, sure. No, okay. I, and I sucked at all of them. <laughs> You're right. So did I. So that's, but that's a big area that I've never covered before. And yeah. so that's asked me at the beginning of this question how do I determine like what to cover next and that's that's what I usually go by is what have I not covered before yes so what sport are you thinking of presenting Greg Hefley I've seen his pretty he has a pretty miserable luck at lawn tennis after seeing the movie and reading the book yeah yeah Yeah. well if you think about here's here's the problem here's the reason I have never done a sports book is because if as soon as you put a ball on the cover, right? If I put like a basketball or a baseball or a football or you know whatever, the kids who don't play that sport lose interest, right? So it's really risky. And culturally, you know, some sports don't work in other cultures. Like for example, if I put, you know, if I put Greg with a cricket bat, uh, you know, on a paddle, is it called a bat? A paddle? What's it called? <laughs> it's bat. Okay, cricket bat on the cover of the book. Um, kids in the U.S. wouldn't know what it was. They wouldn't be interested. You know, kids in China might not be interested. I'm not sure. So it's, and if I, likewise, if I put a baseball bat and a ball on the cover, then maybe I'd lose kids in India. Right. Um, I've decided that it's going to be a more general sports book, which is more about competition itself and not so much about... Um, the specific uh, features. Yeah. yeah. And so we have in the U.S. called field day. Um, like this is common in, in schools where in June, you know, they have a contest where all these kids get to do things like um, sack races, tug of war, foot races, all these kinds of things. Is there that kind of a thing in India at all? Well, there's this called three-legged race. It's not that popular, yeah. but we used to have that. And I remember it because I won a gold medal at it. And you know why? <laughs> because I was good at tying knots. And all the fast <laughs> racers who teamed up with their partner, they were awful at tying knots. And they you know, got opened in the <laughs> mid-race. And we won it straight away. <laughs> there we go. That's a good memory. Yeah, so I'm trying to capture that kind of experience. So I still get to write about competition. But, I do, but I'm not going to write about a really specific sport. I'm going to ask Vanessa. Vanessa, did you have 
Vanessa who works with me. Uh, she was she grew, <laughs> she wow. grew up in the. Did you have field day? Anything like that? Yeah, we have school sports day. School sports day. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Yeah. And I would like to ask, ma'am, do you think Jeff Sir is a good boss? <laughs> he's an excellent boss. Yeah, he's brilliant. Thank you very much. Wow. <laughs> that could have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure you have a good reputation among your, you know, employees and the people you work with, and even your assistant Viduma was communicating on the mail. She was so polite, and the uh, communication. It was so quick. I've never, you know, had that experience before. Normally, I had to okay. send three, three, four mails to just get responded. Oh, so it felt pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, that's cool. Hey, yeah. I, I have to let you know. I have about five more minutes because then I have I have to go to a meeting. So can we get in your best uh, question now? Yeah, sure. I guess let's do it. I had pretty amazing questions planned, and we'll keep this all in just to let people know about my poor time management skills. <laughs> well, I spoke, I, I talked and talked, you know, so that's why, uh, that's why we took so much time. No, that that's all good. And I just wanted to state that I would have probably brought my own Vimpicate collection stack, but the thing was, my mother gave it all to charity. I told her to not give the ugly truth and give rest of the <laughs> charity so that kids further can enjoy it. She yeah. gave them, and Ugly Truth was my favorite one personally, because why is uh, yeah. yeah the experience uh, I'll tell you. There's this even when I still read it at the age of seventeen, I still find it so funny. There's this experience of do let me know if it's real that the students are brought in school auditorium for some kind of overnight stay for one day, and then they yeah. play this game of clicking the oversized images of body parts, and then they <laughs> get in trouble. And while sleeping, when they try to go to restroom, they just go behind the curtain and make fart noises. And one <laughs> of them even brings a trumpet from music room. And that completely resonated. This is what I would do, except those would be real farts. <laughs> 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 That's hilarious. Yeah. This so uh, this was I based on that, a real one. Yeah, that that thing with the yeah, I remember. I got that idea from taking a picture of like the elbow, you know. Um for, my son got a uh I think it was a Nintendo DS and it could take pictures and so we we did that and you know, my <laughs> wife was outraged that it looked like a picture of somebody's bottom. But uh yeah, you know, it's funny. The boys in my book tend to be a lot wilder than the girls in a way. Is that the girls are sort of civil? They're, they're, the characters are they're strong and, and intelligent, and the boys are sort of a mess. And that, that's how I remember things, and, that, and that's how it is in this office. Also, I work with uh, three women, and they they have their act together, but I. I don't seem to exactly have my act together just yet. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so much for sharing your time. It's such a wonderful experience. And just can we have one last question? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Now that you have achieved such great success and contributed so much to the community, I know your dream was to become a you know, syndicated newspaper cartoonist. Do you, Does it ever happen while reading the newspaper, you come across reruns of Peanuts or Calvin and Hobbes? And you get that same emotion, you get all emotional that why is an igdoof on that paper? I mean, <laughs> and there's a That's tear a inside an eye or something like that. I, you know, I don't feel sad about that because a lot of cartoonists who work in that, you know, in, in that medium have actually now come over into books because they've, they've realized that they can find a bigger audience. They can find an audience that's there, you know, that's there at the appropriate age because mostly older people read newspapers. And um, so I feel like I, even in failing, I got really lucky because I ended up uh, like one step ahead, you know, in terms of where things were trending. Um, so I don't, I don't feel regret. And I also don't feel a regret because they're on a deadline that is unrelenting. It's never ending. And they, they always know, like, if they're on vacation, how many days ahead am I? And they always feel like they're catching up to that deadline. So I would have liked it if I was a newspaper cartoonist about 20 years ago, but I like where I am now instead.
Uh, truly great to hear that. And thank you so much. I do believe that people would surely remember a person like you for contributing so much to the lives of children. And now with your new book, The Deep End, coming on, I believe, October 27th this year. Yeah, and that's right. are there any spoilers you would like to reveal? What can we expect uh, from it? Yeah, let's see. A spoiler. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a story about camping actually, but it's uh it's there, there's lots of camping shenanigans and I'm going to say a skunk is involved, but I won't, I won't say anything else. <laughs> okay. No, we'll truly look forward to it. And I'm sure people will love it the same way they are enjoying the previous books. And thank you so much for sharing your time with us and hope you had a great time as well. I did. Thanks so much, Parth. And I wanted to say you're a great interviewer. You're definitely on your way. Uh, so keep doing this. Keep reaching out to people. And what you do is, you know, now you interviewed me, right? And you've, I'm sure you've interviewed lots of other people. But now it's easier to get that next person because you say, here are the people that I've interviewed. And just start building up that resume because, um, because you're good at what you do. And, uh, and I think you've got a really bright future. Thank you so much for those words. And I'll surely add your name because I know it has a lot of value. And I'll surely brag about it in my online classes, which is happening, even though I have That's a awesome. psychology test tomorrow. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, right. So, any last minute tips for exam? Uh, yeah. One thing I would say is that, you know, you're on your way because if, if you really want to get good at something, you have to put in about 10 years, you know, if you want to become an expert at anything. You have to put in all that time so that when you're ready, when that big opportunity comes to you, that, that you've put in the work, you know? So I like it that you're doing this at a young age and that you're really starting to build up. Not every kid's as ambitious as this and as enterprising. So congratulations to you. Thank you very much. It truly means a lot coming from you. And thank you to you for sharing your time with young people as well. So absolutely. It was a delight talking to you and I hope to meet you sometime future in India as well in person. So have a nice like day, sir, and keep doing what you do. Thanks. You too. Take care, Park. Bye. Bye. And with this, we end our latest episode with the author of Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Jeff Kinney. And thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed watching this and are listening to it on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, do leave a review and let us know your feedback. It would truly mean a lot. And for more content, do check out our Instagram and Twitter for daily video snippets. And thanks for being such an engaged audience. I'm having a great time doing this and have a nice day. 